you to have hope in this because John was a guy who was known for his anger, destructive anger, and then by the end of his life, he's the apostle of love. And what that shows is that God is working on all of us, and God isn't finished with any of us. And maybe you right now, or someone you know, or someone you love, is characterized by some sort of a way of being that is completely destructive and can ruin people. Maybe it's hurt you. You have to realize that Jesus isn't finished yet. It probably wouldn't take much for you to come up with a list of character flaws you wish were different. And if you're honest, you're probably doubtful that many of them will ever change. But today, Pastor Daniel shares that there's hope. You don't have to be who you've always been. God is at work in your life, changing you from the inside out. As you walk with him, he'll transform those parts of your life in ways you never thought possible. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in 2 John as he begins a message called Truth and love. So you can imagine my poor wife and the things that she has to deal with in being married to me. You know it's going to be a good story when I start with that. So I remember when we got married, Lynn and I, years ago, we got pregnant six weeks after getting married. Actually, she got pregnant, but I was a part of it, so I'm going to just own that too, you know? And so we were like a year married, and we had a newborn. And so I remember our son Obadiah was about eight or nine months old at this time, and we decided we were going to take a trip to Israel. I'd always wanted to go to Israel on a trip, and actually I had saved up a whole bunch of money to go, and then I bought her an engagement ring with that money, so I had to save again. And so we decided we were going to go to Israel, and so we were touring around Israel. It was super fun because Obadiah, he like learned to walk in the old city. We have these all these pictures of him. We didn't even bring shoes for him. He had these little slippers, these little bunny faces on him, you know? And we have all these pictures of Obadiah walking around the old city of Jerusalem. And, but I remember we went to the Dead Sea. Lynn didn't really know what the Dead Sea was, and so I knew that. So I was going to have some fun with it. And so we were having this great time. We're at the Dead Sea. And I remember just looking at Lynn and saying, so, sweetie, you know, you should taste the water. And she's like, Really? Why? I'm like, well, it is like a famous sea and everybody tastes the water. So I do this. And while I'm doing this, this is, you know, pull out my camera. And so sure enough, my sweet, trusting bride reached down and just lapped up a little bit. The Dead Sea, it's called the Dead Sea because it's the most salty ocean that exists. So much so that you don't swim in it. You actually float in it. It's like you're on a floaty because normally in water, a person is going to sink down. But because the Dead Sea is so salient, they float to the surface. And so she, it's so nasty. And I just took a picture. I got a great picture of Lynn just like making this disgusting face because it was, and then she made me do it. <laughs> I definitely did at that point. You know what I mean? Like, but why do I tell you this story? You're like, yeah, it's a great question. Why are you telling this fun story? Well, because I love my wife. And the whole way before I made her drink the Dead Sea, you know, I was telling her how much I loved her and we were, I was flirting her up and everything was great. We were married, so it was totally holy at that point. But really what it is is that when I made her taste it, the problem is, is nobody tastes the Dead Sea, right? It was like, it was like I was goofing on her. I was having fun with her. And it shows an important reality is that something that the Bible places front and center is that is the marriage of 
love and truth together. And I think this is an important idea. It runs all through our Bibles, but it's very important in this day and age that we live in because what we have is that we have a culture that doesn't know what truth is and because it doesn't know what truth is, doesn't know what love is. And so there's an old saying by a a Bible commentator that says it this way, that when you have truth without love, you have brutality. And when you have love without truth, you have hypocrisy. Truth without love is brutality, and love without truth is hypocrisy. And I think for all of us, if we look at our own hearts in the way that we are, all of us kind of have a tendency to lean towards one side or towards the other, right? Like there's some of us who were like, we're supposed to love everybody, and in the name of love, because you're not holding that love within the truth of who Jesus is, you're loving, but you're really not loving, Because true love does not rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth, right? So, and we live in a world that's like, listen, it's not our job to judge anybody, which is true. We're supposed to love everybody, but loving somebody to the expense of the truth of God's word isn't real love, right? And then on the other side, there's people who are truth tellers. And and I, I know a lot of people like this within the people of God because they believe in Jesus and they know the truth. But in the name of truth, they forget that the truth that they're supposed to love people and then in the name of truth, they hurt people. Where truth becomes brutality. And so the Bible places these two things together and not like in a balance, like a kind of a self-conscious, like I need to balance love and truth. In the same way that Jesus was fully God and fully man together, 100% of both together, we need to have 100% love and 100% truth together at the same time. And I think that this is so important because in the day and age that we live, people are failing at this. And not only people in general, I believe that as the church of Jesus Christ, we're failing at this as well. I think we need to work on this. We need to think through this. And the beauty of it is this is going to be the theme of this next book that we're doing in this Little is the New Big series. We're taking the little books of the Bible And we're seeing that there's big truths in a little package. It's kind of like one of those little five-hour energy capsules, you know. This is a little bit. You don't need 16 ounces of that thing. You'd actually lose your mind if you drank 16 ounces of that stuff. But in the little thing, you get this huge blast of energy. And so the book that we're going to take today is called 2 John. So go ahead, grab your Bibles, open up. We're going to look at 2 John. It's really easy to find because if you... Open up to the end of your Bible. It's the book of Revelation. If you go to your left, the next book is Jude, which is the book that we just studied. And then 3 John and 2 John. So 2 John. Now, there's so much that I want to share. I've called this message truth and love. And the reason why is that when I read you this whole letter, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, that's the theme of the entire book, truth and love. So 2 John, this is the second shortest book in your Bible, It's only 13 verses in our English translation. In the Greek, it's only 245 words. So uh, John was using economy of language, but there's a lot in here. So I'm going to read you this entire book, and then we're going to break it open. Look what it says. It says, the elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all those who have known the truth. Because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace 
will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we received commandment from the Father. And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. Verse six, this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. And if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Having many things to write to you, I do not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. Now, you see why I'm calling this truth and love. Almost in every verse, there's either the word truth or love. Now, this letter begins, the elder to the elect lady and her children. Now, the, the word elder, literally, it's the Greek word presbytos, which we get our word, the, the Presbyterian denomination, comes from this. It's the idea of being ruled by elders or leaders. And it means either an old man, a senior person deserving of respect, or the early church grabbed hold of the title to be the leaders, the pillars in the early church. And so this is the Apostle John. In the Gospels, the Apostle John was actually known because he had anger management problems. Literally, you find that John and James were brothers, right? And they went into a town, and the town didn't receive the message of Jesus. And these guys were so mad. They're like, Lord, let us call down some fire from heaven like the prophet Elijah, and we'll just, like, make this city all crispy, you know? And Jesus said, no, 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 bro. You do not know of what sort you are. He's like, no, no, I'm not here to do that, right? But then as you go further along, the way John describes himself is that he is the disciple whom Jesus loved. And then the Apostle John, in writing the Gospel of John, the Book of Revelation, and then the three letters of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, John is known as the Apostle of Love. His message over and over and over again is that we should love one another. And even in the early church, they would say that when the Apostle John, because he was the only apostle who died of natural causes, All the other apostles were killed for their faith. John wasn't. They tried. According to church history, they tried to boil the apostle John in hot oil, but he wouldn't boil. And so they ended up banishing him to a mining colony on an island called Patmos, which is where, of course, John received the book that we call the Revelation or the Apocalypse. But they would say they would bring John into a church in these little home gatherings, and they would bring John up to the front of the room, and he would just say, love one another. That's all he would say. Just like three words, three word sermon. You're like, man, Fusco, you got to try that one. You know? 
But literally, that was his whole message. And I bring this out because I want you to have hope in this, because John was a guy who was known for his anger, destructive anger. And then by the end of his life, he's the apostle of love. And what that shows is that God is working on all of us, and God isn't finished with any of us. And maybe you right now, or someone you know, or someone you love, is characterized by some sort of a way of being that is completely destructive and can ruin people. Maybe it's hurt you. You have to realize that Jesus isn't finished yet. And even though maybe you were known for one thing, you do not have to be that person forever, and God will change you. And that's an important reality, isn't it? So John writes this letter. He's an older dude at this point, and he's writing, he's writing to the elect lady and her children. And some of your translations have the chosen lady and her children. Now, scholars spend a lot of time, and in some ways, in all the commentaries that I read on 2 John, they spend almost all their time trying to identify who the chosen lady and her children are. And so some people believe it was a real woman and her kids. And other people say that the chosen lady and her children is a picture of the church. Because the word for lady is the word in the Greek, kurios, which is the feminine version of the word Lord, right? And the woman who has been chosen, the bride of Christ, and her children, which is all the offspring that comes as the church is reproducing. And people say, well, look, it says this and says this, and this is how it makes the case. And other people say, well, it was really too. So John was writing a general letter to the church, or it was to a specific woman who he knows as the chosen lady, the elected one, and her kids. And you might say, well, Fusco, which one is? And the answer is, is, I don't know. I really don't know. But either one is beautiful. So you get to John, it's to this woman. And we're going to begin with this reality. Look at what it says here. In the middle of verse 1, it says, whom I love in truth, not only I, but also all those who have known the truth because of the truth which abides in us. And will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we have received commandment from the Father. So my friends, we need to begin with the simple reality that we need to be true. We need to be true. Over and over and over again in these verses, we get this idea of truth coming up. In verse 1, love in truth, know the truth. Verse 2, abides in truth. Verse 3, in truth and love. Verse 4, walking in truth. We need to be true. We need to be the truth. Now, right as I say that, and I say that in this generation, right away, some people in their heart pops up like what? I call Pontius Pilate disease. What is truth? That's a common thing that people say today. What is the truth? Now, I want to talk about that for a second. I want to give you a brief understanding of worldviews and how we got to a place. Because in some ways, if you're one of those people who I say this, you need to be true, what you need to realize is, first and foremost, Jesus is the truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So everything that is true and right about the world is embodied in Jesus. No, but some of you are saying, no, 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 no. What is truth? Who are you to say that it's the truth? Now, if you have that opinion, and I know this opinion really well because I kind of grew up to have that opinion. This is what I want to let you know, is that you having that opinion, you are just a sheep following the way that the world works right now. That is not like a deep thought. That is the, you are just a zombie traveling down with the culture. 
Yeah, that's kind of cold, isn't it, that I said it that way? But it's true. And I'll explain to you why. I can give you an understanding of worldview in two minutes. It's not going to be nuanced, and you can write a million pages on it, you know. But if you look at the way culture progresses, scholars talk about a time called modernity. And modernity began around the time of the Renaissance and continued all the way on into the Industrial Revolution and the Scientific Revolution. And the idea of modernity, as opposed to pre-modernity before that time, was that we can observe and map out everything in the universe. Right? It's like, it's like because of human intelligence and advances in science, we can tell you everything about everything. And part of the ideas of modernity is you won't need God because we'll be able to explain everything for you. And so you end up having... All sorts of mapping out. Science exploded. Sociology, all the ologies, right? Of course, in theology, the study of God and the Bible, you end up with systematic theology, where this is what you need to know about this and this, and everything is mapped out for you in a perfect little map. And that went on, and that still goes on. There's people here today, who, people that we know, who say, no, 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 listen, we don't need God because science will explain everything to us. What's funny is that most scientists don't even believe that. Because any scientist will tell you that anything that they can prove, they can only prove to 99.9% certainty. They know that a good scientist will tell you, we can explore all the, all the variables. We will never know with 100% certainty. That is not even logical. See, as Christians, we call it, well, you have faith. They say, no, 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 it's statistical significance. Because they can't say it's faith. So it's statistical significance. This is, it doesn't work that way. Right? But then what happens is, is you go through this whole thing, right? Where we're going to map out everything, and then all of a sudden, somebody had the bright idea. So it's great that we can map out everything. We'll know everything about everything, except for the fact that the observer has bias. <laughs> like, I've been doing this with my son Obadiah. My son Obadiah is interested in the news now. He's 11. He's starting to kind of understand that there's a big world out there. And I've talked to him a lot about, well, you realize that all news sources are biased, they all are. They come from an angle, and they want to shape what they're seeing through an angle. And it's true, right? You can read about the same thing in five news sources, and you get five different angles. But it was the same thing that happened, but five different groups of people interpret it through whatever grid they hold, right? And so someone had the bright idea, like, oh, so this whole, like, we can map out everything, we'll give you all the facts about everything, but what about your biases and what you wanted to say? And then that created a worldview that's called postmodernism because they didn't know what to say after modernism well just what comes after modernism it's postmodernism and the whole thing about postmodernism is that we can't know the truth because everybody gives biased information right so if you're the kind of person who says well what is truth fusco and who are you to say that that's the truth that is a classic postmodern position which is the default worldview of people who live in the west whether in Europe or in the United States. So when you have that view, you were socialized into that view. So that's, I call it, what is truth? And, it, and that's given birth to a new version, which is kind of a little bit more true, where not someone says, well, what is truth? People say, well, that's my truth. As if there are many truths that you can just pull up to the buffet of ideas. You can just say, well, I just want a couple of this and this. You know, I'll eat, I don't really like that. I'll put the plate back. I'll give you another one. And there's a lot of us who are like that. Well, hey, that's your truth. And your truth is opposed to, listen, if your truth and my truth are diametrically opposed, then one is the truth and one isn't. Or maybe they're both wrong. You know, but if they're diametrically, they can't both be right. And so when I tell you that Jesus is the truth, 
The reason I am completely confident and comfortable to tell you that Jesus is the truth is because if he is the creator and sustainer of all things, if he's lived from eternity past, and if he became a man a number of thousand years ago and lived the perfect life, a life that always pleases his father, and if he died and he rose again, then I think that guy pretty much knows what he's talking about at that point. And so even though you may not like the truth of what Jesus says, he's the truth just the same. And I think that's really the issue. See, people struggle with when someone says Jesus is the truth and you need to follow him because when truth confronts a life that is actually lived outside of truth, then it becomes confrontational, doesn't it? And people don't like confrontation. Like, let me give you a great example. I remember a number of years ago, I took one of my many endeavors into starting to work out. I had many endeavors in this, you know? And I had a friend who was a personal trainer, right? So he's like, man, Fusco, I'll work you out, man. We'll get you going, you know? So I was like, okay, yeah, good. You know, and so we go over there and we start working out a little bit and do a couple sets. And I'm like, okay, I'm done. I'm tired, you know? And he was just like, no, you're not done yet. We, like, we haven't even just gotten started. I'm like, no, 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 I'm done. You know, he's like, no, 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 no. You got to keep going. I'm like, bro, I'm paying you. And I'm saying we're done right now, <laughs> you know? <laughs> now, you know the beauty of that is? The only way you get anywhere is if you actually work a little harder than you want to work normally. But at that moment, I'm like, well, I'm fit. Like, I'm like, I did five bench presses. Like, I'm tired now, you know? Like, talk about Jesus or something, you know? But he was right. But the problem for me at that moment is that the truth of how to get in shape was confrontational to my lazy way of life. I didn't want to end up, like, having, like, walk around, like, like Pastor Robbie, our youth pastor, just the other day. He's been working. I'm so proud of Pastor Robbie. He's got to work out. He's got to keep up with these teenagers, you know? But he was like kind of, you know, the walk when someone worked out a little too hard. And I just want to like grab him and squeeze him, you know what I mean? Like, because I know he's like hurt and he's like, you know? See, I didn't want that, but it's the only way to grow. There has to be a confrontation for growth to happen. And the reason people don't like, and some of you are like, I don't like this. Why does Jesus have to be the truth? And by extension, if Jesus is the truth and he's the living word, then the Bible is the truth because it's the written word. But the reason we don't like it is because when you read the Bible, the truth of who God is and the way the world works confronts our lack of truth and our inability to follow the truth. And we're like, well, I don't really want to have to deal with that. But that's the only way growth happens, my friends. I always tell people, if you read the Bible, if you find a God who agrees with everything that you are and do, then you're not following the real God. Because then you're perfected. You already have it all dialed in. See, when you read the Bible, it should confront you. Because the truth sometimes is confrontational and it has to be. Jesus is Many of us don't like confrontation, and we most definitely don't like being told that we're wrong. Well, today, Pastor Daniel shared that that's what happens when you're faced with the truth of the Bible. Like a mirror, God's Word shows you where you're off track. God wants you to choose to simply respond to that revelation and say yes to Jesus. He wants to change you and give you the freedom and joy you were made for. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel, and I want to be honest with you for a moment. Life is messy. And the hard reality is, if it isn't messy for you now, it will be, and it probably has been in the past. Did you know that you can still thrive in tough times? It's true, you can. 
but only through the power of Jesus. That's the purpose behind my book, Honestly. I want you to know how to keep living your best life in Jesus, no matter the circumstances of your life. You can find out more about it and get your own copy at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel continues working his way through 2 John. You'll learn more about how truth and love need to be the foundation of how you live your life and interact with others. As you root yourself in the Word of God, you'll know and embody more of what's true. Then, as Pastor Daniel will share, you'll be able to flesh out that truth in your everyday life with the love of Jesus. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Little is the New Big. That's next time on Jesus is Real Radio.